You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Whether you hunt the frigid conditions of the north or the swampy wet conditions of the south, the Alpha Burley Pro is the perfect boot for you. The Alpha Burley Pro comes in a variety of camo options and insulation options that will fit you and your needs. Check out lacrossefootwear.com and check out the Alpha Burley Pro today. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Now, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to go check out an Exodus Trail Camera, I mean, the season's coming up and uh, trail cameras, if you haven't used them in the past, can change the game. So check out ExodusOutdoorGear.com for some trail cameras. They're badass. Now, if you liked Monday's podcast with Cody DeQuisto, you're going to love this podcast because, you know, we all love our Hunter Profile podcast and, and, and our BS sessions. However, we dig into strategy on this podcast. And uh, when someone who is as an accomplished of a hunter as Cody is with the background that Cody has, you kind of listen. Um, the dude is only 27 years old and he has slaughtered, I shouldn't say that's a horrible word to describe it, but he has killed more deer, bigger deer than most people will ever even get a crack at over the years. So the dude's aggressive and his strategy works. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's podcast. So, uh, keep your ears wide open on this podcast. Today's podcast uh commercial is ozonics now you guys know i'm a huge fan of using ozone right now everybody thinks uh, in ozonics oh man it's just too expensive it's too expensive uh it's too expensive okay so you buy an ozonics for what four hundred dollars right and it lasts you several years several years uh, you know I still have my not the original unit but the the first newer unit and it works very well so over the course of however many years you use an ozonics you're saving money in laundry detergent you're saving money in scent sprays you're saving 
money on camel because you're washing your clothes less and you're actually wearing it you're wearing it more washing it less and i feel that that outweighs the original cost of the the ozonic so yeah the upfront cost may sting a little but I feel like you're saving money not having to buy additional scent-free products or scent elimination products like sprays and detergents and all that other stuff in the long run. So it's just something to keep a, keep an eye out. If you want more information on Ozonics, the products that they offer, and how Ozone works, you need to visit ozonicshunting.com. And if you want to save... Um, to save some money on an ozonics unit and get a free dry wash bag here's how you do that when you enter when you go online and buy the hr 230 or the hr 300 you enter the discount code 9fc18 and you will get a free dry wash bag with your purchase so that's very easy. You need to do it. I use the uh, dry wash bag every single day of the hunting season. So take that into consideration as well. Very, very effective tool for uh, killing odor and not having to wash your clothes. So enough of all this nonsense. Let's get into today's aggressive whitetail strategy tactics podcast with Cody DeQuisto. All right, so we are back. Same picnic table, same shelter house at the same state park. <laughs> Couple less people. Couple hopefully. less people. Yeah, there's uh, a family of skinny jeans over there that <laughs> I don't know if I could, uh, if I trust, but it is what it is. We, <laughs> we, uh, so the last podcast, obviously, we talked about is basically a BS session, kind of a hunter profile. And now we're going to dive into some strategy because the season is here literally two weeks away um by the time you hear this one it'll be a week and a half away if your opener is october 1st and i'm sitting here with cody dequisto again and we're gonna we're gonna break down kind of his entire season what he's doing throughout the entire year i may relate some of the stuff that i'm doing throughout the entire year and just kind of shoot from the hip again and talk about bow hunting strategy and um so my first question to you is when does when does planning for the next year for you start? Um, this might not typically be what you hear from a lot of people, but I, I, I sort of I guess I, I don't know if I'd say I slack in that regard, but um, I don't like to get my hopes up too much like I'm not I'm not th- honestly I'm really not thinking a whole lot about the following year when the when the season ends yeah. I mean I've been so hard at it that like you know I've I've hopefully just you know killed a bunch of great deer and you know it's it's um you know I cool down for a little bit and kind of right. yeah I'm not really as soon as the season's over I'm really not thinking about the next I mean I am but yeah um, it, it's sort of a a little bit of a downtime for me right so you know in the last podcast, you mentioned that you hunt, you hunt in Iowa, right? You hunt in Illinois, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are private farms on those states, right? So, like, uh, um, is that family family ground? That yeah, uh, family ground and then lease. And, and a lease, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, do you have any other leases in any other states that you – I have – private ground that you hunt in other states? I have um, a friend of mine. I hunt down by him uh, in Missouri sometimes. Okay. Uh, if I'm going to Kansas, it'll it'll primarily be um, like a walk-on piece uh, or public ground, and then Wisconsin. I've I've uh, uh, I dabble in some. We do have some uh, some family-owned ground in Wisconsin, but it gets it gets so uh, pounded by trespassers and people walking their dogs, and just yeah. it, it's kind of a hassle. So I don't really t- deal with that too much. Um, so I typically would will go over to either a piece of public or. Just reach out to somebody I know. I know a lot of people that own a lot of ground. So even if it's just a, even if it's a 20 acre piece, yeah. You know, if it gets me where I need to be, you know, I prioritize my season, um, and then you know, if I need to find another spot, I find another spot, whether it be public, lease, anything. Right. So how maybe much? Maybe I got to turn a few tricks to get out there. <laughs> I mean, you, you, know, you never know, man. You got to keep some old it. lady. She, you yeah, got, her yeah. husband's been gone for you a while. Got, yeah. Uh, that's, that's that's a part of it. People don't realize it. That's a part of it. <laughs> so so. Let's say like once the season ends and maybe or hell, even as the season gets started and we're maybe you're like, God, some of these some of these pieces of property are not going to produce the caliber of bucks that I want to go chase. What are you doing to find new access? Um, yeah, I guess this is and this is always I think I mentioned this a little bit in the previous podcast. This has always been like the hardest thing for me. Um, I don't exactly have the, the knock on door appearance that people like to see coming up and, and asking if they, if I can take yeah. a weapon on their ground. So, uh, I don't, I do that a little bit, but I, I you know, I got, I got a series of friends that we kind of team up and look for different, different properties and mm-hmm. split up and do scouting and, and just kind of, you know, I like to keep my options open, but I hate, uh, having too many options. Yeah. So I always like to limit you know, some years, like if I'm going to go to Missouri, I'm not going to Kansas, you know, yeah. so I'll, I'll focus on one, one place or uh, maybe a place closer. If I know I got some, some stuff going on that needs attention and I can't travel too far from home, but, um, I just, so I guess through a series of connections, I would say, yeah. and just doing maybe aerial scouting for like public pieces that I think might be overlooked or, um, you know, not too much pressure. Right. Right. So, you know, you're using, you're using some of those connections, but there comes a time where, I mean, and this is one thing I talked to your dad at, at the ATA show one year. And I said, so how'd your season go? And he goes, Hey man, I'm be honest with you. I really didn't hunt that much. And I'm like, I thought in my head, okay, so here's one, one of what some people consider the greatest bow hunter alive, right? What, why didn't he hunt? And so I, I grill him with some question and it's just that the caliber of deer that he was looking for was just not there that year. So when that happens, I mean, how, first off, how do you know? Right. I mean, because the rut, anything can happen. Right. But if there's, if there's not a big deer during the summer months on the property or even into the early months, then you're just, like you said earlier, rolling the dice on you're you're wishing or you're hoping yeah, a big buck yeah. shows up and wishing and we, hoping don't we work. always we always refer to it as hunting a ghost you know yeah. you're hunting something that's not there and if it's it and you know going back to that point with dad he's he's at a level you know just 
of hunting that it's it's uh you know it's kind of uh people you know you might not think of it this way but man he does not get fired up unless we're talking something is is you know world class so you're not gonna be able to produce world-class deer on one piece of property every year i mean just and we're not how many acres are, is, is his farm? It's his farm. 640. You know. Okay. Yeah. And then how big is that lease in Illinois that you're on? 400 acres. 400 acres. Okay. Yeah. So some may think, some may think, uh, oh man, 640 acres. That's a lot of ground. Well, it's probably not as big as you think it is. Oh no. And then you, and then you factor in the neighbors. I yeah. mean, you know, people, you know, I, I, people have this notion, um, out there that, if you're hunting private ground, it's like this this holy grail of untouched ground that nobody steps foot on, and these deer are just frolicking around, and there's rainbows everywhere. Yeah, like it's, it's the outdoor channel. We, <laughs> well, I mean, we got you know we got guys hunting the edge of our property shotgun season who kill our seed bucks every year. Like yeah. there's things we deal with. We deal with you know coon hunters. We I think that happens with everybody. And on a and you know as well as I know, a deer can be off a 600 acre piece in fucking seconds. Yeah. You know I I mean it doesn't. There's nothing that's, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's hard to, you know, put it in words, but it, it's, you know, you got to roll to punches. Certain yeah. years you're going to have good, you know, um, you know, deer, home bodies that might stick around or, or better rat growth than others. And, right. Uh, but, yeah, it's. it's so if, so oh. with that said, then, like, there, there, comes, there comes a strategy to locating them, right? And whether. I'm planning for an out-of-state hunt that I've never been on before, or I'm knocking on doors trying to gain access to new farms, or you're using your connections to, you know, there's still a lot of work that goes into once you even get the access to to locating a caliber of deer that makes you happy. So what's that look like? Um, I I think with us, or or with me in particular, and even like, you know, when you were talking with dad that year... it was through hunting. Like, yeah. so, you know, I mean, yes, there's a, there's a, there's a combination of, you know, you run cameras in the summertime, you're going to get, you know, an idea of what you got on the property. You know, you, uh, the, the crops come down, the timber fills up a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit more cameras, some, some glassing, some, you know, all those little combined, you know, um, advances to find out what you're working with, with deer on your property. Then, you start hunting. Yeah. You know, there's so many times cameras can elude you. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot see them glassing. I mean, these deer could be anywhere. They could not even be moving too much. So, um, I, I think you really got to start hunting the property too to to really find out what's there. Yeah, I've hunted big deer too that really didn't leave anything behind. Um, uh, that and it was kind of just just odd. But um, so, how, I think how long are you giving some of these properties before you bail on them? Uh, it could be. Depending on the size, it could be a couple of days. It could be a couple of weeks. Um, there's, uh, I'm, it's pretty so, like, uh, I would say if I hit a piece of property um, and just systematically sort of hunt it and move around and look what's there and, um, you know, you're going to find out pretty quick. I, I think some people just don't want to accept it, that there's not yep. something there. Which also is is a reason I don't run too many cameras. I feel like I hunt harder when I don't run cameras because I don't know he's there and I got to find him. Like, yeah. And then I I feel like sometimes I'll let what the cameras show me, which I think a lot of people do out there. 
they rely too much on the camera uh, feedback. Yeah. They're they're instead of using the camera as a tool in their arsenal, they're using it as their their crutch. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'm you know, guilty of that, dude. I, I I mean, even as recent as last year, I made decisions based on, on camera, based off of yeah. what yesterday's information told me and so i popped into an area chasing a big buck and he never showed up and hell he could have been in the next county by the time i was in the tree yep Yep. or even you know i hear it all the time i'm not gonna hunt this area i don't got i don't got good trail camera pictures yeah well how many cameras you got up yeah where is the camera at like what is the camera in one little spot i mean is he i've i've watched deer from a tree stand just whether on purpose or not, but just skirt a camera. And yeah. I'm talking big freaking deer and yeah. do it multiple times. So yeah. if I'm, you know, coming in there to check that camera and I'm not seeing that picture and I'm, you, you, you know, relying on that piece of information solely to if I hunt there or not, that is like, that's, that's bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, that you, well, you can get, you can get caught up with that for sure. And then you could be, you could be missing out on a great opportunity. So, right. Um, so once you've, let's say, whether you know there's a deer, you know, sometimes you got to go hunt to see if there's oh, yeah, a deer yeah, there, yep, right? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. So when you go onto these properties, whether you've been there before or you haven't been there before, what are you looking for as far as, let's say, <clears throat> sign, whether it's old sign, new sign, um, access, terrain? What are you looking for to say, okay, I got a feeling there's a big buck in here and he's going to be coming from here or he's going to there. Uh, I think that would first start out with how, how many pieces I had. I'd narrow them down. If I, when I finally figured out that piece, but narrowing down those pieces, I would first uh, look at the aerial. Um, I like to look at things like access. If, if you have a landlocked piece of ground that you can only access from one spot, it's, it, that makes everything so much tougher. You know, Mm -hmm. that, that's one thing. So, uh, an area, a piece of property that you can get into, um, you know, w- from multiple access points, like, you know, due to wind direction or, or you know, however you're going to try and hunt. That's the first thing I look for is access. Um, the second thing would just be the overall structure of the land. Um, you know, I don't overlook, even though I don't hunt them too much, you can't overlook a, a, an awesome pinch or yeah. like, you know, just an awesome setup with a bunch of draws leading up to a food platter, you know. So I, I definitely look at just the lay of the land too, um, uh, how the timber's laid out, how much how much crops there are. Um, the way I think a, a big thing that's important too that a lot of people don't don't think about when they're getting onto a piece of property is, okay, how is that piece of property actually like positioned for like like on the map? It, it, it's funny, but like you know I've uh, I've heard Dad say throughout the years on on multiple pieces like. The goddamn property is just facing the wrong direction, you know, and and there's just there's sometimes everything is set up for the way you want to hunt. Like if it was 180 degrees flipped on that same map, it'd be the best farm in the world. But with the w- typical wind directions you get, you know, I mean, uh, I've had farms that were awesome, that looked awesome. Access was awesome. You know, the bedding cover looked awesome. They were coming out to food and you couldn't you, you would have to sit there and just wait on east winds to hunt that property. Yeah. And I'm not about that. So. I'm not going to sit there and wait for an east wind. Now, if I get an east wind, I might keep that in the back of my mind so I can jump over there, but I'll just X that out right away. So um, so I think the map is the first step for sure. Right. Uh, so when you say when you say access is one of the most important things, is this after identifying through scouting 
a really good tree stand location. No, this is before. This is this is so, like just looking at a piece of property, and I look at like, hey, can I drive up the road, and can I come in from the north? Can I drive over here? Can I get to the property from the east? Can I, you know, can I, uh, you know, go down this creek if I need to in a fucking kayak to get, you know, so, which I don't, uh, you know, I don't like to go that freaking route, but um, I, there's so many pieces that I found, too, that were really great, mm-hmm. um, and the access was just this little pie sliver that there's the only, the only easement into this piece of ground, and it was landlocked, and the neighbors ain't letting you walk through there, right. and, you know, you might have open terrain or open hardwoods, and you walk in, and all these deer are watching you walk in, and... Can it, could I get it done there? Maybe, but like I'm gonna, I want to obviously, you know, put my eggs in a better basket than something that's gonna be a pain in the ass for me to get to just to hunt, you know? Right, right. So access, and then like once you've identified access, it's almost. Like, and now this is finding new pieces too. Like right. it, if you're stuck and you got 200 acres and it's got shitty access, well you're stuck there. Figure yeah. out a way to to make it work. But right, right. Know, so. No, it makes a lot of sense. But still. But, you know, let's say you have this ground, it's landlocked, whether or whether it's landlocked or not. First, there's access into the property, right? And then there's almost like two parts because then you need access to the tree stand. So you need access to the backside of the property, but you still need access to that sp- specific tree stand. So how are you going about identifying specific tree stand locations and maybe access to those tree stand locations um i leave i definitely leave the tree stand locations and access uh it's not something i'll i'll on the map i'll i'll pick out like kind of you mentioned like you know okay here's a good pinch this will be good in november this is you know a good field that's that they'll probably be hitting in late october like i'll have those ideas in my mind but when i really get in there and it and it we start talking about access to the tree stand that's all going to depend on, you know, what my eyes are seeing. Um, I think uh, wherever I get to on the piece and wherever I find that I want to be hunting, like if I find a really good, you know, hot trail or a field edge and, you know, then I first pick, okay, where the hell do I need to be? Where can I make this work with the wind? You know, the wind is, is number one and scent control, uh, you know, when you're up in the tree. And then I'll, that's my first priority. Second priority is, okay, now how the hell do I get to this thing? Yeah. Because I don't care if you have the best access in the world. If your tree stands in the wrong tree, you're never going to freaking, you know. You're, right. So you're definitely, I think the tree stand should be the first priority in your, your ambush point. Uh, and then figure out, okay, what do I got to do to get in here? Yeah. So then, you know, you, you've identified the access route into the specific area. And now, you know, as you're walking in, and this is one thing that I, I think a lot of people don't get. Um, especially from a mo- being a, a mobile hunter uh, type standpoint, is okay. I'm I've made it in here. Now I have to identify, based off terrain features, what tree specifically is going to be the best. So how do you get? How do you say? I, I guess I want to know your thought process on this tree right here is shit, but that tree, that tree right there yeah. is the money tree. Yeah. I'm see. I'm I'm. Ve- I think that's probably the most technical I get in the most where I'm most systematic, I think. Like I I really dive deep into the tree stand setup. Even though I'm I'm setting a lot of stands and, and, and very often. But like the how high I'm in I am in that tree, what exact angle that platform is facing, where my shot will be. Like I like shooting seated. Yeah. So like my sets are always set up to where like I don't have to fucking move. You know, I'm just yeah. that deer's done. So um 
it, it'll depend on the tree too. So first I'll find the spot, you know, then I'll look for the tree. Um, if, you know, one tree gives me a little more cover, I might go with that one just to, you know, why not have more cover? Yeah. Um, if one tree is, you know, that's the thing too. I've always been, I don't have the luxury and I could, I don't, I don't like it, but I've never been a guy who could back off 40 yards and, and, and make a 40 yard shot at a deer on a trail, you know? So I'm always getting very tight. So, um, I'm not the type of guy who will try and hog a whole area. I'll more so get a little closer and make sure that, like, when he comes by, I'm getting a 5 to 10, 15-yard shot, like, tops. Yeah. I love just, you know, putting that – don't even have to aim at that point. You just – it's more instinctive and you just uh, – um, so, yeah, I, I guess it, it, it depends on, you know, type of tree. I definitely like cover. Um, you know, the stand you're using is a – some of these guys that are using these, uh, you know, stands that aren't very easy to hang and, and uh, stuff like that, it gets it gets very tough in this retrospect. And just being able to pull down a stand, move, set it up quietly, yeah. quickly, you know, efficient, have it be quiet, um, you know, that all really comes into play as far as that goes too. From a gear, from a gear yeah, standpoint. Yeah, yeah, from a gear standpoint. And um, my biggest thing I'm looking for is I just, I want to make as little movement up there uh, is possible. I want to kill the deer where I know he's going to be. I don't want to think about think too far into things and, and overthink things. Um, so I just I, for my particular style, like then I choose the tree if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if that sort of. So you know, there's a couple ways to do to do what you've kind of described here, and there is the dive in right away, maybe not knowing if there is a if that buck is in that specific area or kind of sitting back and I'll do this every once in a while, um, is an observation sit where you're back however many hundred yards or it just, it, it all is relative, you know, relative to the terrain. If it's open, you can see further. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of observation sits to try to get a key? Like, Hey, I know this deer is coming from this three acre area. I don't know what trail he's using, but I'm going to sit off to try to identify that. You said three acres, uh, three acres, 10 acres, 15 acres, okay. whatever. Well, if I, if I got that deer pinned down to three acres, I'd probably go on for the kill, but yeah. I do, I, I'm not opposed to an observation shit one bit. Like, you know, th- and that's the thing, you know, uh, am I mobile? Yeah. Do I set up a lot of stands? Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I don't have typical stand sites that are yeah. always great that I sit in or that I might not jump in a tree. Now, I would prime, I would always lean toward a stand that I could kill over a stand that I could see. But now, you know, you got to remember, right. we're talking about locating a deer. We don't know the deer's there yet. Right. So, if if you get access to a piece of a uh, property that's two thousand acres, right? I mean, it might take you a long fucking time to run in there and and check this whole two thousand acres and find out where a deer is when yeah. you could just toss a fucking stand up, you know, on a corner, get eighty feet high with a with a spotting scope, and then glass the whole field, you know, or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think it could be it can be really beneficial at times for sure. Right. So. But for the most part, it sounds like whether it is from a historically good area to an observation sit, it sounds like you're probably going to dive in rather than sit out. Yeah, there's all, well, there's always um, – I always make sure that even if it's an observation stand, I'm going to make sure I can kill something. Like, yeah. 
if that if I'm I'm not gonna go out and hunt if it's a stand that I know I'm so out of the game that nothing's gonna happen. So yeah. I'll try and do like a mix of a stand maybe like maybe something that like well it's in a good spot and I could probably you know I could get something if you know or I'm in a decent spot but. So you know. the, the odds of you killing him are maybe not as great at yeah. that particular, but yeah. you're going to gain some information yep. sitting yep. in it. Or, you know, that's the thing. That's, you know, so there's another thing right there. You could gain, gain access to a piece of property. There might be three bucks that you want to shoot. Yeah. So that observation uh, set, might you might get eyes on two different deer. Then you can pick, you know. So, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's, that's definitely. Uh, and if I, if I don't have to go in, and upset their core area or go in and find where they're betting, I won't do it. Like, right. you know, I mean, if, if I, there's been, there's been a lot of times that I've hunted deer, um, you know, maybe I've hunted this deer in the morning and this deer in the evening, just because, well, why I don't, last thing I want to do is go and, you know, mess up this deer's daily pattern right. when I know where he's coming in the evening. Yeah. If I can, if I can hold off just a, just a tad bit and kill him in the evening, then it's a different story, you know. Um, then I won't go push the envelope. If he disappears, well, then I'll get a little bit more aggressive and go in. So um, I just don't um, – it's not like a go-to, I'm going to, you know, all of a sudden, you know, be hounding this thing on his bed first thing. You know? Right, right. Personally. It's right. So basically when the pieces of the puzzle are right to be put together, yep. that's when you kind of make the aggressive move. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think some people get a little too aggressive too quickly. Like they, they hear all this, oh, mobile, i got to get mobile, i got to get aggressive. And, and yeah, I mean, you, you know, I, I do think, you know, the worst thing you can do is not try. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if there's, if there's a hot chick sitting at the bar and you don't go over and, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna get with her if you don't try. You know if you don't go over and talk. To her. If you sit in the corner of the bar and just watch her the whole time, you're gonna be a creep. Yeah. And you're never gonna get anything accomplished. So, yeah. there's so many people that then they just don't take the next step. They they see what's going on, but they don't like think deeper into it. Like, oh yeah, I seen this I seen this tear come come yeah. through here. You know and yeah. Do you think that I want to like one thing that I've learned over the years, and it's something that I. I don't I try not to do anymore is I got the information now I need to act on it. Yeah. One thing that I used to do was I had the information and then you say to yourself, "Oh man, well I think I'm going to sit here one more night to see if it happens again and then I'll make a move." And then yeah. that deer comes through, you make the move and then you never see him again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that see you can you can fall into the uh into that trap as well. Um but I do think, you know, going back to that first move, you know, what got you in that point at the, at, to start with? You know, are you confident in where you were? Yeah. If you are, there is always the option that he just didn't make it to you that time. Yeah. So, you, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's times, I think the worst thing you can do is second-guess yourself. Yeah. So, if you think you should move, go move, you know? Right. And, and I've always looked at it this way, too. Like, um, if, you start, if you start pussyfooting around these deer, like... I think that's 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 the worst thing you can do because well I'm not going to say it's the worst thing you can do but you can choose that approach but if you're going to be timid and you're going to wait and and try and wait for things to happen opposed to make them happen you're going to be more likely to be in that tag I think yeah like like you know does that make sense I I don't um, I think there's so many people who don't act on their gut or 
um, you know. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset because you know what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. You just yeah. got to follow through and do yeah. it. Yeah, and there's things. There's there's so many thoughts going on in a lot of people's heads maybe that where they don't know if they should or not. And and I, I get in my own head all the time, man. I, 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 I'm Every year I'm like constantly striving to improve on certain areas of hunting and, and do things better. And I, I'll get stuck in – sometimes I'll get stuck in the trap to where I'm, I'm you know, you know, I'm getting routine. Yeah. And then I, I got to tell myself, what are you doing, man? Just, just you know, change it up a little bit. Um, so I think um, the question of not knowing uh, definitely eludes a lot of people, and, and that's when you have to um, – you can't be afraid to try new things. Right. Is that when people should probably get aggressive then? Is kind of like – Dude, I, I just need to I just need to go for it. I know what I need to do. I just need to be aggressive and go go. Yeah, go if do you it. think you know what's going on, I mean, it, it's 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 never a bad idea to act on it. I mean, yeah. if if you if you screw up, you screw up. Whatever. I mean, uh, lesson learned. Yeah, it's a lesson learned. You know, you learn from it. Now, I mean, but that's the thing. You know, I can't I can't give that one answer to everybody. You, there may be a guy hunting three acres in the back of his yard. And if he screws up on that deer, that deer's gone forever, you know, and, and maybe he wants to be a little bit more timid in his approach. You know, I've just been the type of person that, like, you know, doesn't doesn't care too much. I'll go get on a different deer. Yeah. Now, but if you're hunting a specific deer, that's your only deer, it's your only farm, it's your only right. card to play, you only have five days to hunt them, like, well, maybe maybe hold off a little bit, you know. It's, yeah. it's so situational, too. I think there's – you got to roll with the punches, man, and every situation is different. Just like stand height. People, oh, well, how high do you get in a stand? Well, you got to be twenty feet. No, you don't. Yeah. You got to be thirty feet. No, you do not. Like yeah. it, it, every situation is completely different. A lot of times, I only take two sticks. That's my preferred method of of hanging a stand. I, I like to be two sticks high, and I got I always have a couple screw-ins in my pocket in case I get a little bit higher. But if I'm down in a in a dip or in a in a in a crack or or ravine or something, and I know I need to get higher for my win, well, I'll I'll get forty feet if I need to, but. There's, I never have a textbook like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing. This is what, all my setups are different. Right. And I think, I think ultimately that's what this conversation is going to be about. Because I think as people who consume content, whether they're getting it from a podcast, getting it from a, a magazine or wherever the hell that they're getting it, they are looking for either someone to tell them you need to do this you're going to be successful if you do this or every single deer is a different yeah, set of questions that need to be answered in that, order for you to be successful everybody wants the magic pill everybody wants that one answer well this is what you do and that is simply not the case it's it's i deal with the same thing in like you know the in the in the fitness community Everybody, well, I want shredded abs. Like, what do I got to do to do this? Well, you know, what do I have to do to, to, to you know, bench press more? What do, you, dude, put in the work, man. Put in the work, you know, have, you know, a consistent approach to your diet. You'll, you'll have a shredded body if you want it. Yeah. You know, put in the work in the woods, you know, get out there, learn, figure out what's going on, push yourself a little bit, continuously do that, you know, I mean, I am a hundred percent believer that if you put in the work, you will be successful. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes it's it's, <clears throat> and there's a lot of people too that that think they're putting in the work and they really aren't. Well, I hunted six days. I hunted six days in a row, man. It was tough. Like, oh, you did? <laughs> okay, that's. Yeah, you know, Good I mean, that's, you. yeah, you know, so 
And and how did that work out for you? You know, did you what were you doing in those six days? Well, I hunted this this stand right here. So you hunted in the same stand for six days, and you're burnt out because you were getting up early and you were getting out in the woods. Well, don't cry to me, man. You should have got out there more. You should have moved around. You should have looked. If it wasn't now, if you were seeing activity in that stand, well, great. If if deer were coming in shooting range and you thought you were going to get it done in that stand, by all means, sit there six days. Yeah. You know, but I just I think you you get out what you put into it. The more you're those guys who are out there day in and day out and they're studying and they're they're you know looking at sign they're they're scouting different pieces of property and they're they're just they engulf themselves in it and um you know i think those people will eventually start to consistently kill good deer because they're because they're doing what it takes um and being observant you're not just going in and saying hey well i killed a deer here so it's going to work for me next year yep that that's not necessarily true no, that, that's definitely not true. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, yeah, you could have great spots that produce every year. Um, <clears throat> that that can most certainly happen. I've I've shot deer out of the same stand that I've shot deer out of, you know, previous years. Like yeah. that's that that has happened before. And there's always those spots, and, yeah. and it's stupid to overlook those spots because you don't want to be textbook. But dude, if if <laughs> you know if you go scout a piece, you know that's another thing. You know, some people like let's say me and you go scout this piece, right? And we've we get down into this nice little pinch down there. You know, I was literally with a, with a buddy of mine. We get down to a pinch, and I look up, you know, and um, I see an old, like an old, like, you know, pegged, like, box stand. Like, it was all, it was up there at one point in time. It looked like, you know, from the 50s maybe. It was two by fours nailed to the tree <laughs> going up there. And I start setting my stand right in that same tree. And he's like, what are you doing, man? There's fucking all, like, why even going? I'm like. This was the spot, man. This was the spot 50 years ago. It's probably a good spot right now. Like if yeah. if, if them old time starting point. Exactly. Yeah. Like if them old timers were using it. I mean, and you know, those spots typically tell you. I mean, yeah, I looked at the area and it looked good as well, but you know, why go crazy and try and pick a different tree and make it more complicated? Like that tree produced in the past. I'm seeing what I can see. I'm going to, you know. Yeah. So sometimes I think it's a little common sense and people overthink it too. Right. So we have these uh we have these places that I know I'm kind of drawn to a certain type of spot every single year, and it's almost like a creek or river bottom where it's kind of flatter, not necessarily a lot of terrain, but great cover, great food source, great water, you know. So it's got it's got cover and it's got uh, uh, food and water. Is there any specific type of terrain feature that you are drawn to to as not necessarily a starting point because i know that every deer is a different tactic and a different approach to it but do you find yourself maybe starting in the same areas every year or and then moving from there um well i so yeah with that being said i would probably say you know food is king Mm -hmm. You, you can't overlook food so if you can surmise what they might be eating, that's always a good start, I, I would think, or I'd say. That's, yeah. that's my philosophy. So I don't think I typically like to, you know, uh, you know, there's people that, like, love, oak, like, you know, big mature hardwoods, and they gravitate to that, and they put a stand in that right away. No matter what the open hardwoods look like, there couldn't be a, there might not be a single track in that entire piece, and they're sitting there because they like it. Yeah. I, I hunted with a guy in Missouri. And we get down to the farm, and he was from northern Wisconsin, 
you know, hunting and you hunted pines, you know, yeah. big, like, long, flat, swampy, marshy pines. And there was one area on this property that had some pines and some marsh. And he went right to it and hung a stand and stayed there the entire... And I'm like, what What are you doing, man? Like, what? Yeah. You know, well, it, it was just what he was comfortable with. And, and he gravitated to that and, and he hunted there and never got anything. Right. <laughs> you know, so right. I don't like to let that depict, you know, I'll, I'll hunt in the back of a barn. I'll hunt you know, right on a busy road, I'll hunt wherever, you know, after I look around, wherever's telling me that I need to be at, I just, I try and keep my mind clear to, you know, to make a long story short, I try and keep clear and, you know, overlook where I've shot deer in the past and, you know, just kind of take every situation like it's a new one. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. So with that said, is there a place that I like more? Or like? Not necessarily like more, but... Or where I'm more often successful? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So are you are you successful downwind of bedding areas more? Are you successful in pinch points more? Are you successful, uh, like, I mean, the, the big popular, uh, I guess, buzzword right now is bed hunting, right? Oh, I know. Every, yeah, everybody it's... needs to go in, find the beds, and then you're going to kill the buck, which for me... I can't, I, number one, it's hard to find uh, a deer bed where I hunt that a buck is consistently going back oh, to every the, time. Yeah. In, in your Iowa farm. Yeah. See, like that's a, right there, prime example. So there's, there's farms that I've hunted that have established bedding zones that like you'll typically see deer bedding in, which is a bedding area. Now, in Iowa at the, at the farm, th- these bucks are like nomads, man. They yeah. will they'll bed on a different ridge every night. They'll bed wherever the hell they feel like plopping down. Yeah, you know you're not in in that sense. You're not like you know. So so many people get. I think then hunting bedding areas is a great way to kill a deer, but I, I that has become like the the holy grail and the only thing that matters, and it's it's really not. Like yeah, you, I've killed a lot of deer where I didn't know where they bedded. I, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, and I'll admit it. Like for, you know, I mean, but. You know, so you don't you don't need that, but then at, at the same time, you know, I've been known to say like if you do know where they're bedded, and where they're where they're where they're feeding, mm-hmm. you should be able to kill them. Yeah, I mean those those are the what <laughs> if you can't you know if you can't put that uh, that together, then it's it's I don't know it, you know maybe you just need a little bit more time out there, but um, I don't think it's necessary about the bed, and it changes like you yeah. said. You know these these beds, you know. Um, aren't used every day they're not put they're not yeah. like you know substantial red flag you know the x marks the spot it's it's not always like that yeah and that's and that's one thing where again it's like yes maybe the principles of what these people are trying to tell you may work but you have to you have to take that information and be able to relate it to your own piece of property yes. because yeah. for me all this talk about beds, I can tell you right now that I have some pretty good bedding areas on the farms that I hunt, but if the wind is out of the southeast versus the southwest or northeast or northwest or straight north or northeast, something just minute, these these deer are bedding completely different places. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's, like you said, it, it, it changes and, and it comes back to everybody wanting to know. Um, you know, that one magic answer, and it's it's not there. Right. The, the deer are doing different things. There might be typical, obviously, there might be typical things that deer tend to do, but you really got to dive in and figure it out uh, yeah. uh, on, 
you know, what's going on with the particular area. And a lot of times I've found, like, there's been times too. So, you know, here's a prime example. Everybody's, you know, where's he bedded? Where's he bedded? I need to get on his bed. I need to kill him on his bed. I need to do this. That's, that's how I get successful. I've found bedding areas, like, shredded up. Like, I mean, just, like, this deer was using this place for probably years and didn't even touch him. Yeah. Because I looked at it, and I, you know, I assessed the area, and there was no possible way I was going to be able to hunt that area and kill him right there. Yeah. To whereas somebody who, who might not do the diligence there would be like, oh, my God, I found it. I found the spot. Yeah. And they plop up in any random freaking tree. And then the wind is blowing right at the buck when he comes in or, 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 or they, you know, put too much scent in there, whatever it may be. But, you know, that deer, I knew yeah. I couldn't kill him there. So I backed off and, you know, I surmised where he was coming from and I killed him on the transition to that bedding area. So, yeah. it, you know, I love hunting bedding areas and every chance I get, I'll kill him right when he's about to, right when he puts those front legs down if I can. But that situation yeah. I didn't, I, you know, and that was... You know, so I think people, too, that, you know, they hear, you know, guys say that, like, oh, yeah, that guy kills him over the beds. Well, it's, dude, it's not all the time. I mean, it's, yeah. when that situation calls for it, you know, if I would have had, and that's the thing. So I knew, that's another thing. I knew I needed to capitalize on that bedding area right away. You know, I might have been able to wait three weeks and get away with, uh, you know, a, a win that might have worked for me. Or maybe I wait, Dan, and say, um, Oh, uh, you know, maybe in, in, in a week I'll get one of those, when you look at your weather app and it says just calm and there's no wind and maybe I'll get the thermals to lift out of there. Maybe I'll try that, but I ain't going to wait that freaking long. I ain't going to, he could be doing something completely different by that time. I think you got to capitalize on it and you know, you got to make the moves, man. And, and, um, you know, uh, and if, if now you have his bedding area, we'll put the other pieces together like that's not it you don't need to kill them there move over and kill them somewhere else right so for me what i'll say is i tend to gravitate to what i call staging areas it's that yeah those it, are yeah yeah i mean my my favorite you know they come out of their bed they will and i like there's then they have their transition area which is basically from the bed to the food and along that that route somewhere is a staging area and that's where me personally I've killed I'm trying to think here for the most part all of my all of my bucks I've killed uh two bucks not in a staging area uh the last three bucks that I killed were in staging areas so that's for me that's where I like to start um, and so I like staging areas where you have killed your bucks over the years. Has there been a, like any consistency there or have they all been kind of different? They, uh, they have, there's been consistency. Like if you look at the, you know, the, the entire group of, you know, deer, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you, you get to looking like, okay, well I killed, you know, that group of deer on like in bedding areas. Like yeah. there's, I've killed, um, uh, yeah, I, every, everything is different, but they're all, um, you know, I've killed a, a deer, you know, like I said before, like, you know, literally right before he was about to lay down. Yeah. Like, like just as he's putting the knees down, and then I've, you know, I've killed him in transition areas, staging areas. Yeah. I've had a lot of luck in staging areas. Like, those are awesome areas. Like, yeah. there's, you know, you get, like, these, um, you know, we have, uh, I've found a lot, like, in Kansas, too, these, these bucks, um, you know, they love that 10-year, and before they may hit the field, like, they might just mill around in a 10-year field for a while, and 
and you know with no rhyme or reason so uh on field edges over scrapes i've killed deer you know you know eating beans early season any dude anything it's just yeah. it's just a matter of where you can get them I, I don't discriminate man if 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 i can if i can sit back and right and not have to put as much work in, i won't you know sometimes i think like i said it gets over complicated maybe yeah so you know you, you mentioned scrapes yeah a lot of people will be like oh man i gotta hunt a scrape how how much attention do you pay to deer sign when you're going in and making your dis- like decision on where you're going to go and ultimately set up? Like scrapes? Yeah, scrapes or rubs. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. So that's what kind of um, – that's one thing that – I've seen basket racks rake the fucking ground. I yeah. mean, like so, you know, and I've seen 140-inch deer rake telephone pole-sized trees Yeah, and just – you you know, looking at the rub, you'd be like, oh, my God, there's a giant here, you know. That's not always the case, man. So, I mean, yes, you want to use that. You want to be where the deer are. You want to be where the deer sign is. If you're not hunting where deer sign is, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're dropping the ball. But, you know, the one thing that I think I always go on is, you know, you can't fake a track. Yeah. A big track's a big track. I mean, it, yeah, it could be a giant doe. It could be an old buck that you don't want to shoot it, or it might not be a big enough rack, but... You know, if you got some big tracks, then it's a starting point. It, it, it is definitely a starting point. I mean, you're you're not if you got tracks, that looks like cows are walking through there. There ain't there ain't nothing wrong with hunting there. You know, yeah. um, you know, I've I've been into the, but then again, you know, you got to investigate. I've I've found little areas that were rubbed up like crazy. You know, and you know, even this one uh, set in particular, I remember I had to like scale the side of this freaking mountain just to get up there on the backside with a north wind where it's blowing off the cliff where no deer can get back. And it was like this little corner where this deer was bedding on this peninsula. And, you know, it was all shredded up. And I'm like, dude, this deer's got to be huge. You know, I'm like, this is yeah. a good one. This one's done. He's dead. Yeah. He's dead tomorrow. Like, that, that was in my mind. Everything perfect. Got up there. Perfect wind. Got in the stand. You know, first light. This 135-inch, just like seven, <laughs> seven-year-old seven bruiser comes in with a bullwinkle rack and starts just cheese-grading these trees. And I'm just like, you got to be shitting me, you know? And I just I got the hell down. I yeah. literally got down when he was right there, rake, like rubbing the tree, because I was wasting my time, you know? I, yeah. I found out what was making that sign, and I moved on. Yeah. You know? So I was just, you know, turn and burn, I guess. Yeah. I, I just... You got to, you know, and that kind of goes back to what your, what your goals and expectations yeah, were. Yeah. I mean, that didn't fit the criteria. So you, uh, you hit the road. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. <laughs> Here's another thing. Scent control, right? So when I, when I say that I'm a huge fan of like having an ozonics in the tree, like in, I know yeah, yeah. on the inside, you're like this dumbass here. Like, <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not, th- I'm not thinking that one bit, dude. I got a lot of buddies who swear by ozonics. Yeah. I, I just don't like to carry that. I, I don't know. I just don't like to mess with it. Right. I, the, the little, you know, as simple as I can keep it. Um, yeah, I mean. It, so I, let's talk about scent control. Like, what are your beliefs on scent control? Um, I firmly believe that you cannot control your scent. Yeah. Like, that's just a simple fact of it. Like, I think even if you, you know, bathe in uh some magic potion if you wash your clothes you use all the all the scent lock in the world um you know unless you're you know putting yourself in a in a complete concealed bubble or maybe a complete concealed shooting house to where the the, the scent is not coming out there yeah you're not going to fight it man you're, you're going to smell like a human you're going to smell like a clean human and a nice yeah. and a nice you know perfume free human but so with that being said i i keep 
you know, I don't use my axe body spray when I'm hunting. Yeah. You know, you know, so I obviously I'm not going to do that. I don't want to reek like something unnatural, but I, you know, I wash my clothes with just you know perfume free uh, uh, detergent at that time of year, and you know I bathe with you know not you know very smelly soaps that, yeah. that's pretty much my only my only yeah. scent regimen yeah and that's one thing that i've learned over the years man i used to be that guy in the very beginning when i when i was learning to hunt and it was it was you got to have a tote and in this tote has to be a, a trash bag and in this trash bag has to be your scent free and you can't put that on until you get to you know get out of your truck and walk to the timber yeah. and you gotta wash your clothes every single day and you gotta do this and this this and i still got busted oh yeah all that yeah. shit <laughs> so it's one of these things where i think like my personal opinion on scent is that deer are able to access um to what's the word i'm looking for um determine threat level based off the potency so like if if a deer walks downwind of us 20 yards right now they're going to smell us and they're going to be freaked out. But if we leave and a deer comes downwind of us or downwind of where we were three hours, they're able to identify through the potency of that scent that, uh, well, I don't like to be here, but I know I'm not in danger right now, but I'm going to get out of here anyway. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's they're, just, that's kind of what their the noses, man, are so like, I've always had the philosophy of like, um, If you tell, or I tell myself, hey, you cannot beat that deer's nose. Right. You're, you're never going to hide your scent from that deer's nose. The only thing you can do to beat that deer is make him not be able to smell you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, like, that's my philosophy. So, I take extra precaution on my setups and my wind. Um, you know, like I said, I do, um, I do have a tote that I keep my clothes in. Um, I mean, if I'm cooking bacon in the house, I don't want my clothes to reek like bacon. But, yeah. um, and, you know, so I just... I just think so many, you know, so many people put so much time into unnecessary scent precautions right. and, and spend unnecessary money on clothes that claim they're going to make you scent free when we all know they ain't making you, right? you know, they're not making you scent free. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so, like, making the initial move, um, a lot of people are putting all their eggs in the basket for the rut right yeah you know and the rut is one of those times a year that it is we got a motorcycle gang coming yeah, through. yeah but uh the rut is one of those times of years where chaos ensues and i feel that when chaos ensues you lose an advantage to trying to find where these like where a specific buck is oh located. By far, yeah hands down right so yeah. with that said then from a from a strategy from a strategy standpoint do you try to get it like do you try to make some of these aggressive moves before the rut kicks in let's say you have a buck and you know he's he's coming out maybe he's nocturnal right away or um he just is now he's just barely making it through um through uh, shooting light in this particular area of the farm when are you going in to try to get that buck or because you know rut hits he could be gone yeah see that's that's the tricky thing man i mean i i've had you never know when that first doe is going to go into heat yeah and and when she does i mean you're you know your bucks are 
their change in their yeah um you know their pattern and their movement so if that is encroaching the rut definitely makes it harder to um to pin down a specific deer it, it definitely gives you know guys that may not know as much as other guys the advantage just because these deer are running wild obviously but um i will definitely try and make it happen with a deer before before any sort of that happens but that that that's sort of a trick question in itself because if last year prime example i had a we had a doe come into heat on a farm that i was hunting uh like october 19th or something like it was just stupid like i've never even seen it that and i literally had one of those days where i seen a train of bucks yeah she went in the heat and literally took every single buck that was on our property and left with them and for like two weeks i didn't see a single single buck over 110 inches wow so i mean like there was nothing i could have done prior to that to like get more aggressive i i was in the right spot i was doing the right thing it was just an unfortunate circumstance that that doe went in the heat early now you you know that late october they start getting a little squirrely or, or, or november rolls around and if that buck's still on his pattern that late i would get after him because it could be any it's, it's a time bomb at that yeah. point so right yeah so then so then like I always get made fun of, uh, I'm on a different podcast and the guy tells me, uh, he's like, dude, you know, like hunting mornings in October, you shouldn't do that. Like let's stay out of the woods in October. But I am a, I'm a huge believer that when the time is, uh, the time is here and that buck is making a move, whether it's October 1st in the morning or October, um, you know, October 28th, when he's moving, he's moving. So what's your thoughts on like the early season and as far as hunting mornings are concerned? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to disagree, uh, pretty hardly on, on the, uh, the whole assumption of not hunting mornings in October. I don't, I do not get what the argument is there. I a hundred percent. I mean, I think honestly, that's my favorite time to be in the woods is in the mornings in October. Yeah. Why is why is that? Just because you know you know the movement's great. I mean, if you're in the right spot, Mm -hmm. you know bucks, you know deer are doing what they're doing in October. Yeah. Um, You know why is it that people don't want to hunt in October? Is it because deer aren't running around like madman making scrapes and and chasing does? Like if that's what you're looking for, then yeah, maybe you you don't want to hunt October. But if you're looking to kill and you're looking to be effective, then get in the woods and figure out what they're doing uh, because they're moving somewhere. Yeah. Th- these bucks don't just, just, I mean, there isn't some unwritten rule to where bucks don't move in October. Yeah. Oh, well, bucks don't move in the morning in October. Well, who said that? Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I've, pro- I can think of, um, I, I would, I'm going to go out, I've probably 80% of my deer that I have on the wall have been killed before October 20th. 80%? 80% of them. Now, is there a, is that more of an evening? Mornings. Bre- mornings. <laughs> mornings, straight up. So so where's the argument there? So, so you're saying 80% of the bucks that you've killed before October 20th. Um, yeah, argue that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then what percentage of those do you think are morning out of that 80%? Oh, man, I at least 60 Sixty yeah. percent of the 80 it, it, uh, it might be more than that. Right. I, see, I, I don't want to, like, make false claims, but, like, it might be more than that. Right. And then I'm not counting the 
the ones that were like October 22nd and 24th and 26th that were in the morning. So right. like, wh- where's that? Is that, yeah. I don't know what constitutes early. So, so you, you think that the October lull is just, it's a some, fallacy. Yeah. It's a, it's a made up thing. I mean, now I, that's what I'm saying. So a guy who is used to being in the woods, seeing crazy rut activity might think there's a lull in October because none of that's happening. Yeah. You know, it's, so do you, is there such thing as a December lull when they go back on their pattern and they're just right. hitting food? Yeah, or I the don't think so. July lull, or yeah. the whatever lull. <laughs> I think there's, there's definitely. I mean, they're definitely not as active, but it doesn't mean you can't kill them. There's right. no, um, you know. Now, if if the temperature's super balls hot and they're not they're not moving and they might, you know, their pattern might be very, very strict and, and smaller. But yeah, the the notion that you can't kill a deer in October is just always just has been one that really puzzles me right i I really don't understand that i and i think that has to do with field edge hunters oh yeah yeah 100 percent 100 percent yeah yeah these you know there's a lot of guys are like you said putting their eggs into that one basket and and you know they're you know (laughs) they're hunting the field edges um in these you know more spots that might get a lot of activity when deer start getting a little bit more territorial and squirrely you know october weekend or, I mean, Halloween weekend, yeah, you'll probably get a lot of deer cruising field edges, but, you know, it might not happen in, in October 2nd, you yeah. know, I mean. Right. That's, that's, I love hearing you say that because it go it goes, you have the success to show those, that those statements may be bullshit. And I, I really like that because it goes against everything, everybody it goes against what you read in magazines. It goes against what other, like, quote unquote, I, I don't know, it, like, know it all say. Dude, it's weird because I've I've never even. It's funny you say that because I, well, I don't pay too much attention to to videos or magazines, but I've never heard that theory until just maybe a few months ago, and I was like, what is that a thing? Yeah, like people are saying that. Like yeah. it's just, I, yeah. So, <laughs> so I thought it was kind of, yeah. A buddy of mine was like, well, yeah, you know, I really, I'm really going after this. He was telling me about this deer he was going after in Ohio, and he's asking my opinion. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I get right tight in this transition area. You know, uh, as soon as, as soon as the season opens or the next couple of days, and he's like, well, no, and no, I can't do that. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do that? Like, I'm like, okay, yeah, ask my advice, and then tell me I'm, I'm giving you the wrong fucking. <laughs> I, I'm, hey, I'm just throwing it out there, man. If you want, if you want to take it, take it. But, well. I don't want to mess anything up and hunting there in October. Yeah. Not, and, and I'm like, you're not going to mess anything up. Okay, well, I'll go in there tonight. I'm like, don't go in there tonight or don't go in there in the evening. Get in there in the morning. Like, right. what do you, why are you going to go in there? Well, you, you're not really supposed to hunt in the morning. And I'm like, or, or, or he's like, how am I going to hunt? How am I going to kill that deer in the morning? And I'm thinking, how are we having this conversation? What is making you think you're not going to kill that deer in the morning? Yeah. So I've never heard of it. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> I um, love it. I love it. That's uh, that makes me happy because <laughs> I am a I I'm a huge believer in the deer dictates what you should be doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yep. Yep. so I mean, is there is there like I know I know, like. The typical podcast or the typical magazine or the typical interview with someone who, fuck, I don't even know like how to, how to ask this question because, you know, I want, I, I, I want to ask you strategy, you know, strategy specific questions, but I can't because the, your strategy is to do something completely different <laughs> for absolutely every deer. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's. It creates a it creates a little bit of a conundrum there. Um, 
So when when it's uh, you know the the deer dictates what you do. Um, let's say you're on a buck, the rut hits, you lose him. Are you still chasing that buck, or do you go after something else? Do you drop? Ooh, yeah, do you drop and go? I guess it depends on how big that deer is. Yeah. Um, I would definitely if I was if I was after that deer, and that's happened in the past. Uh, so you know I've been on deer early. And just, you know, couldn't seal the deal, um, you know, due to, you know, like nomadic type deer, like yeah. in different areas and getting real, you know, they get a little squirrely and then they might, you know, start rutting up a little early and I lose track of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to answer your question, I'll put myself definitely in more so a different position, you know, more of a rut strategy. And then just, you know, s- yeah. sometimes you got to hope. I mean, if you're in a good spot for November and you're going to get deer traffic, you're going to be in the game for for bucks now. If you're trying to kill a certain buck, you just got to hope that he's after the, you know, the the, the deer herd that you're setting up on. You know, so yeah. so uh, yeah, I, I would try and put myself in those in those positions. Um, and you know, that's happened in the past, and I've never. I think I've only killed two deer in November, ever, ever. Yep. Everything else has been either before or after. Yes. Yes, um, I've missed a lot of deer in November. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to bullshit about that. It's it's one of those things where, like, you know, I mean, I, it's it's sometimes it's a frick, it's a madhouse, man. Yeah. I mean, and I think it it just makes it tough, man. Yeah. I don't get me wrong, I have a blast in November. I love being in the tree, man. I mean, you know, fights you call or rattle just, at all? Uh, not too much. I mean, I'll rattle a little bit, just like just to just to do it. Yeah. I mean, but I'm a firm believer. I think, and and you know, back to the basics, and as much as I can keep my location hidden you know because i've i've also you know been experimenting with rattling and i and i have a buck like you know pin me in a tree at like you know uh, 100 yards right. away like they know where that sounds coming from and they're, they're not stupid they loop down wind yeah yeah so anyway so yeah I, i'd just rather be in a better spot um i'll find myself doing it maybe a couple times a year just just for the action point of things and and um you know to it's it's kind of cool you know it's, it's amusing sometimes but um, but yeah, like November, I never, I don't really have too much, uh, luck in November. Yeah. So I, the, the last thing I kind of want to talk to you about is this, um, you had the, you, you told me a story about a buck you killed. What was it in December or maybe even January Yeah. where you located him. It was late season and he just wasn't cooperating with your, your strategy. And then it happened, right? So but it wasn't for the lack of grinding your ass off for, I don't know, how many days was it? Like probably 10 consecutive, uh, 10 or 11 consecutive different stand hangs. Okay. So walk us through that entire, that not only the thought process, but that entire from, okay, I identified him and then I killed him. So walk us through that 11 days. So um, the, this was actually, there's, it's, it's, it's uh it's funny because there's been multiple I've killed multiple deer with this exact same story background so yeah. uh, I'll just um, I'm trying to think of you know both of the stories were a little different but this you know come late season when these deer uh, start to mellow down and get on patterns and and like you know as you know in Iowa we get some we get some frigidly cold temperatures yeah. so um, it definitely helps out um, with you know finding out where these deer are gonna be now with that being said we leave a lot of food on our property. And we don't have little tiny kill plots that are, you know, in corners of these draws. We more so, you know, farm the property for agricultural reasons and just leave some crops standing. Like, you know, just 
our main focus with, with late season food sources is more so to put them in the center of the biggest field we have so gun hunters do not kill our deer. Yeah. That, that, is our, that is our only thought process. We're not leaving food up to kill deer over in late season. No, you definitely yeah. use that as an advantage. You, you know, and they'll be coming to those places, but you know, now you have, a, you, know, you have deer from 700 to 1,000 acres, maybe the surrounding places that we're trying to suck them in. Yeah. You know, we don't want our deer keep to them alive. Yeah, we want yeah. to keep them alive. So with that being said, um, the deer typically, you know, I would, I would, you know, identify those food sources, different, you know, we have different groups of deer on different properties. So like I might be hunting a piece and, you know, this little herd of deer might be coming to, you know, this, this bean plot. And then, you know, on the other side, th- this little herd of deer might be coming to a, uh, you know, a, a turnip, you know, food plot or something. Yeah. So, um, identifying where that deer is and once you find that out i would typically hunt you know i'd use that food source to my advantage try and figure out where he's bedded but i'd get him in the middle somewhere now the interesting story about that buck that took me so long to get we had an early thaw like we had all of a sudden it was negative um 30 probably like i think the temperature actually hit negative 22 or something and 30 with the windshield and these bucks were starting to or these deer in general were starting to come to these plots really heavy and all of a sudden the the temperature got up to about 65 degrees just out of nowhere for a couple days yeah yeah, that was we had a we had a warm front it was crazy and it was so much to that the snow started melting and it was revealing like these these uh um you know like hay fields and, and, and stuff like that out yeah. in the open there was there was now Green. more yeah there was yeah. now more food for him so you know with that being said it completely i had a buck i knew where he was going and all of a sudden he disappeared yeah so then i immediately changed my game plan okay where are these fields thawing through where do i think this deer is going to be so i knew i needed to start moving around there was only green in six or seven locations so i knew that you know i'd eventually run into him at some point in time yeah simultaneously i'm talking to people who are still hunting over bean plots yeah. and it's 65 degrees out and i'm like i'm deer ain't gonna be eating those beans today like what are you doing yeah get the hell off there so with that being said um it this particular piece of property was very hard to access as far as i could get in there but then coming out i would bump every single deer like that was that yeah. was there so man that sucks i knew i had to come completely around the property so um you know i i started my mission and, and around this time is where, like, hey, you got, you got 12 days to make it happen. You know, I always look at, like, that right before the ATA show, if I don't got it done, that's when I start getting crazy, you know. Yeah. And I, you know, told myself, okay, well, you got, you know, you got five, I think it was six days to get this done. Yeah. So I'd take the, uh, I actually took, um, uh, I would take the, the, the ranger, the side-by-side around the entire property, coming from the backside, it took an extra you know, I'd probably, you know, walk about a half to three quarters of a mile through the backside of the property, which this is private property. And typically, uh, you know, I would just drive anywhere I want or, but, you know, so I, I went the extra mile to go around the property. So I wasn't blowing those deer in the evening. So I wouldn't, you know, screw yeah. them up every single night if I couldn't get on them right away. Cause I didn't know exactly where he was. So I systematically just every evening and morning, changed my stand location just to try and find him you know because i didn't know exactly where you know where he was going to be when i it took to about you know about the the fourth i think the sixth let's see it was probably the sixth setup fresh virgin sit that i actually spotted him coming through a little thicket 
um, and came out and I watched him eating that green and I just figured, okay, it's game over. It's just a matter of time. So, yeah. um, I had a wind switch, you know, so due to the wind switch, I knew right where I needed to kill him, yeah. but due to the wind, I couldn't kill him. I couldn't hunt him there. Yeah. So I had to back out, but I did not hunt him. I went, I backed out, went around the property the complete other way, came in on a finger that he was getting close to Yeah. just so I'd be in the game and I hunted there. And then the following day, um, you know, I slid down that that finger to try and get closer to him, you know, and and you know didn't see him that day. And then, and then I think it was the next stand setup that I was able to capitalize on that wind, you know, creep in, and I actually killed him at like six yards, ducking his head through the gnarliest, wow. thickest stuff coming out of this this draw. So it was just kind of a you know an example of you know rolling with the punches, you know late season you wouldn't think you'd be hunting green or you wouldn't think you'd be hunting that and you know i lost him had to find him again and get it done you know in that in that quick a time so just so it's like bang 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 you, you know? stuck with him and, yeah and yeah you knew yeah. he was coming out but you didn't necessarily know where yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so many guys i knew like i said were still hunting you know bean plots and stuff like that and you just gotta you gotta roll with the punches i think yeah but ultimately i mean you were successful on yeah. It. yeah yeah yep. right yep so We'll just wait for this guy to drive. Yeah, by. yeah. We'll just <laughs> wait for this ranger. Yeah. The um. So you end up, uh, you end up uh, like moving around. You 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 lost him. You found him again, and then so I mean, consistency plays a huge role in yeah. in success, well, obviously. And you know, I didn't. And honestly, I think on the. You know, it might have been that last time or, you know, it was never in my mind like, oh, man, I don't feel like doing this. It was like, hey, I got five days to do this. Like, yeah. f- like it's, or, you know, I mean, I got five more times or four more setups. Like, mm-hmm. I just need to get, you know, I need to get in that spot. and. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great point that a lot of people get tired and then with. And, and mind you, this is the last five days of the season. Yeah. This is hunting hard for three months already. So. Right. It's, it's, you know, some people don't even want to get out in that, co- you know, prior to that day, it was, yeah. like I said, negative 30. So, yeah, that's, a, that's always kind of been a goal of mine is to, once the season's over, uh, well, once the rut's over, after shotgun season happens, is to go and locate a deer and hunt it late season uh, oh, yeah. and try to, you know, get one back on this pattern. I have yet to do that, but it's always been a goal of mine. Oh, yeah. that Well, that's even too. I mean, I, I think that's a really susceptible time for these things that where they give up a big playing card because they need to eat, especially when it gets that cold. And, and like that, that big drop time buck I shot a few years back, um, it got to the point where, you know, he was such a dominant deer and he had so many does pinned up on this ridge side and you couldn't hunt him on the ridge side. So I was stuck yeah. hunting him, you know, in between. He was eating in the middle of a you know, 150 acre field that, you know, you, you couldn't touch him if he was out there. If you got anywhere near him, he'd, he'd, he'd bail out. And that was just a, um, kind of a unique scenario. So, you know, I had to jump the gun and I had to get right on the ridge that he was coming right. up to get out to that food. So it's just, it, it's always something different. You just gotta, you know, right. like, like we've been talking about this whole time, you know, kind of, uh, gauge it by the situation. Right. All right. So season's over you've whether you've killed a deer or you haven't killed a deer um what do you i mean do you do any postseason scouting do you do any type of shed hunting or anything like that to try to yeah i, I love to shed hunt um yeah. i definitely get out there and and um look for horns uh i 
Does I it found, play a part in your next year strategy at all? Yeah, I, I definitely look at it. Like if I find sheds to a deer um, that ends up showing up next year, like I, I've learned not to get my hopes up. Like so until that deer shows back up and he's alive, I don't even think – I consider him dead. Yeah. So there's just been so many times where I've oh I'm gonna have we're gonna have really nice deer next year we're gonna this one's gonna make it and it never happens so yeah. if that deer shows back up I'll then go back into my mind and be like oh okay well I, f- I found his sheds here late season you know I I spotted him one time over here and I'll and I'll see and kind of surmise that that whole unison of everything and see if the you know where I found his sheds correlates to where I think he was bedding late season and because yeah. a lot of times these deer winter up in different places too so yeah absolutely you know um so yeah I, I definitely try and use that information at least to my advantage a little bit and right. I love to get out there it's a nice time to you know see last year's sign yeah and see what happened no leaves you know you're not um I hate in the summer man I hate it, it <laughs> well number one uh I am a very very allergic to poison ivy <laughs> so i don't like to get into the timber too too much uh i may go in once once or twice to check some trail cameras hang some stands but uh most of my uh scouting is done during the season or at the end of the season yeah yeah so i, I would definitely have to second that that's typically what i i think a lot of times too people are getting in there and they're just putting so much unnecessary pressure yeah on these deer in the summer while they're growing their racks and yeah. and you know i just i never wanted like to i always think about it like well i don't want to go in there and tip this deer off like what yeah. you know i mean uh i've i've hunted leases where it's just i mean people are in there every weekend like yeah. and to no fault of their own they just they like they want to do better so they're trying to involve themselves more but they're really hurting the piece of property like, yeah they're just they're driving there every day checking cameras every day trimming lanes every day setting yeah. up new stands every and they're and I don't, and they're doing it like in the middle of the summer. Yeah. Like I have a rule that I may go in and check trail cameras a couple times throughout the summer, but September cool. is a no go. Like I, I've made it a point to where, listen, they're going to get starting to get hammered, uh, in October already. Yeah. yeah. I'm staying out just yeah. to any, even one day I think could be a big, uh, it's a big deal. So, I mean, that's just my opinion. I agree, yeah. The, the the least I have to mess around in September before I can actually hunt them, you know, not to mention, like, all of a sudden, let's say you go in there September 1, and you find an awesome spot. Mm-hmm. Well, and then then you're in your mind, you're going to be like, oh, I need to be October 1. And he might not even be there October 1. Or yeah. You might, you might, he might still be there. You might get lucky with that. But it's, it's, again, on that thing where you're letting past information dictate what you're doing now and... You know, yeah. I just, I don't know. Yeah. That's uh, very difficult to, uh, f- for people who, so I know we talked a little bit about trail cameras and, and we're getting close to wrap up here, but do you, do you let trail cameras dictate any move you ever make or not? I, I use trail cameras specifically as like a, um, you know, an inventory checker. I think like just yeah. whatever information I can get from a trail cam I use additionally, um, there's been times like I, I actually I specifically remember a time where I killed a deer early season mm-hmm. morning October uh, to, to where <laughs> I I uh, I think it was October sixth and I was it was a corn year and there was so much corn up on this property and you know I was finding some decent sign but like deer weren't moving it was pretty slow and I had a feeling a lot of these deer were held up in the corn and you know I used you know I found. I think we're talking probably this property is, uh, you know, close to a square mile. So 
I'd say a mile and a half apart from each other. There was, there was only two spots that had that had deer sign, and um, or that you know had any sort of buck sign that I thought that I w- would you know want to want to shoot. So you know, I was thinking in my head like, is he covering this this entire amount of ground? Is this the same deer? Is he really you know making that long of a of a trek? You know, daily is he? You know, I mean, he was you know opening up scrapes and stuff like that, and I didn't know what was going on. So, I used the trail cam to my advantage. I put a trail cam on both corners. You know, in the series of five days, I got a picture of the same deer on both corners, a mile and a half apart. Well, that told me right there that he was coming through the middle. So I yeah. I went in and found where he was coming through in the middle, and then killed him like the next morning. So, right. like you know, I I'll use them to my advantage whenever I can. Uh, and I will use them, their information to dictate some stuff, but not, I won't live by it. Right, right. Well, we're uh, we're we're on time, man. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah. I want to say thanks. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and yeah, no problem. Uh, share some knowledge with us and BS for a little bit. And uh, I think I'm, we're going to have to do this again. Yeah, I'm, dude, I'm always up to talk whitetails, man. It's 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 uh, it's it's great. And there you have it another podcast in the books uh hopefully you guys enjoyed these last two podcasts uh with cody i know i sure did it's it's awesome to be able to see something and hear something that kind of goes against the grain of what everybody else has been telling you or all the other content that you've listened to uh and i like it i like outside of the box thinking i like aggressive type thinking and uh, obviously it's paid off for him i mean his success kind of speaks for itself so with all that said huge shout out to cody for coming on the podcast and huge shout out for you guys for listening so if this is something that you might find helpful or you know some other people who might find it helpful please share Uh, share this content on your social media pages because uh, I tell you what man uh, that I I would really appreciate it and it helps me out a lot go check out Cody's Instagram page Uh, I'll make sure I post it and tag that on the Sportsman's Nation and the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, Instagram pages Uh, make sure you follow him he's doing big things and uh, other than that guys I think uh, we're going to keep this outro short if you haven't already go leave a a review on iTunes and anywhere else that you download this podcast. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Exodus Trail Cameras, Wasp Archery, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Prime Bows, Ripcord ARS, Ozonics, and lastly, Hunter Safety Systems. Uh, you know, the the hunting season is coming up very fast, if not already here for some of us. So let me tell you right now, that I mean this 100% every time, every time I say it, and that is to wear your damn safety harness, right? Because you fall out of a tree stand because you think you don't need a, a safety harness, you break your spine, and then you can't climb a tree stand ever again. There's people out there who have who have went through that, and I, I have a feeling that if they could do it again, they would wear their safety harness. So let me say it again. Myself and the people at Hunter Safety Systems are telling you loud and clear, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.